Andrew asked me a couple of months ago if I would be open to a guest preaching slot and I was moved. I was really moved because my heart and my roots are here and at 3.40. My roots go back to the days of Dave Richards. If any of you remember when he was the pastor at Welcome Bay, that was back in the 1970s. So this is coming home. If you'd asked me to choose a hymn, I'd have probably chosen just as I am. God is good. God leads us minute by minute and day by day as we allow him. I've just come from preaching at 3.40 and one of the wags down there titled my sermon Back to Basics. I've been doing a bit of research lately into Pinterest eschatology. Now, if you've never heard of that, that doesn't matter. But there was a very interesting book read, uh, sorry, written by a guy called J.R. Russell back in the 1860s on the subject of eschatology. And it has revolutionized some of my thinking about end times. And uh, that's probably not so important, but what is important is it's given me a new understanding of some verses of scripture that I'd kind of put out the side and thought, well, one day, God, you'll show me what that means. I don't understand. And some of those scriptures have started to make sense as I've explored a little bit of eschatological theology. Before you think that I'm going to give a lecture on last times, I hasten to say I'm not. What that research has done for me has driven me back to basics. I've been privileged to worship in a Billy Graham crusade. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> An old Roberts crusade at Holy Trinity Brompton, the home of Alpha. Some of the big cathedrals in Germany, Austria, Holland. None of that worship meant anything like to me the worship that I have just shared with you today. Hang on to that. It's not about the thousands. It's about Jesus said where two or three of my people gathered together, I am with them. And Jesus is here. Praise God. Just before I get into the text. Does anybody remember a guy called Dick Holland who was a Presbyterian minister at Tipuki back in the day? Aha! Have you ever heard Dick Holland's testimony? Let me tell you. How do I know Dick Holland's testimony? Because in the day I was the secretary of the local Gideon's camp. Camp, you say? Yes, camp. Don't ask me why they call it a camp, but they do. Anyway, I was the secretary. And when you are the secretary, you see these testimonies come in of people who were touched 
by the word of God. Gideon's put Bibles into bedside tables at hotels and motels and doctor's surgeries and those sort of places. Dick Holland was a businessman in the US of A and he was doing a lot of travelling and he was in a motel one night and he became aware that there was a Bible in the bedside table and he shut the door again don't want to have anything to do with that five minutes later he opened the drawer again he couldn't help himself and to cut a long story short within a couple of hours he was throwing the Bible across the room and saying God get off my back (laughs) and anyway to cut a long story short he ended up as a minister in Tipuki and what did it not one of the saints giving him Bible texts or explaining salvation simply reading the word of God the word of God is powerful more powerful than a two edged sword it is not just a book and most Christian groups acknowledge it as the final authority in all matters of faith. Sadly, I've come across some Christian groups who push that to the absolute limits of the envelope. Andrew won't do that. (laughs) You're very blessed to have Andrew as you. Preacher and pastor. Being a counsellor in the Billy Graham crusade gave me six texts. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. Romans 5.8 But the good news is Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. John 1.12 As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of the living God. Ephesians 2.8-9 By grace are we saved, through faith, not of ourselves, not by works, lest anybody boast. And the clinch, sixth text, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. They that have the Son have life. They that have not the Son of God have not life. Now, When you get depressed, if you get depressed, I get depressed sometimes, I go back to those six texts. Not too many people have lost their respect for Billy Graham and his analysis of the gospel. Unfortunately, some people at Willow Creek and Zacharias Ministries have fallen into mortal sin. Sorry, did I say mortal sin? 
they haven't committed mortal sins. There is only one, and that is the sin against the Holy Spirit. I find it so sad that a man like Ravi Zacharias that I have learnt so much from has now been pilloried after he died. But what does that demonstrate to me? The innate sinful nature of all of us. And the higher the pulpit or the pole you get put on, the greater the danger. We need to pray for our leaders that they don't get pilloried. So the first verse, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a three-letter word, but it carries a gigantic penalty. You get me? It's only a little word, but it carries an enormous penalty. For the wages of sin is death. Eternal death. That is the penalty of sin. Our society today, I don't need to tell you how much it's changed in our lifetimes, where what used to be regarded as sin is no longer regarded as sin. People get all mixed up too with sin and breaking the law. The law and God's moral law are two very different things. We have legitimized by law a lot of things in this country in the last 50 years are sin, which are sin in the eyes of God. You're familiar, I probably imagine, with the name of Israel Folau. Played for the kangaroos and the wallabies. He lost his contract with Rugby Australia for doing one thing. He put scripture on his blog. It is no longer PC to quote scripture in our country. I don't need to tell you how sad that is, but that's the way it is. I was talking to a, a lawyer recently whose daughter had been admitted to the bar in Wellington. And there were 30 young lawyers being admitted to the bar. And if you've ever been to one of those ceremonies, it's, it's very moving. It's a, a piece of ritual. It's civic ritual, but it's nevertheless very mo moving. And my friend said of the 30, less than half took their oath as a lawyer on the Bible. Now that's very indicative of the society we live in, isn't it? Anyway, that's the bad news. Sin and original sin, a doctrine that doesn't get a lot of airspace these days, but is still true. We're born with a sinful nature. We don't learn it from our parents or our friends or the bad boys. We're born with it. And the only theologians that I know of who don't believe in original sin are bachelors and spinsters. Because if you've raised any kids, you've got grandkids in your life, you know about original sin. Those kids need to be disciplined. Otherwise, they run amok. Original sin is real. 
but it gets decried in these modern days a lot. Romans 5.8 The good news. Christ Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. You probably don't remember the name of Peter Marshall, but he was a uh, preacher in the US back in the probably 60, 70, and he was chaplain to the US Senate. Believe it or not, the US Senate still has a chaplain, a Christian chaplain. There's a bit of a debate going on over there now as to whether the chaplain needs to be a Christian. Just as an absolute aside, my great four times grandfather was a Quaker preacher. Oh, but you say, Quakers don't have preachers. Oh, but then they did. And he was invited to address a joint session of the houses of the US Congress back in about 1810 or something, the time of the Napoleonic Wars, because he made a contract with God. When he was about 50-something, he was dying, and he knew he was dying. And he said, God, if you will give me X more years, he probably didn't use the word X, they didn't in those days, but if you give me a few more years, I will go around all the Quaker assemblies in Great Britain and preach the gospel in case there is one person who has not embraced the gospel. And he spent the next 20-something years doing that. And once he'd run out of new ones in the UK, they called him over to the USA and he started working on those. There are a lot more in the USA because Quakerism is still quite big in the States. And God didn't let him off that hook for 20-something years. But that was a diversion. Getting back to Romans 5.8. The good news In Romans 1, there is a list of sins. If you haven't read it lately, it would be a good idea to go back and read it because it talks about, yeah, the big sins like adultery and murder and stealing and rah, rah, rah. But it talks about gossip too and slander. And how many of us can say, I've never gossiped? Well, you might be able to, but I can't. (laughs) It's part of the human condition, isn't it, to gossip? And in that big list of sins, yes, there's homosexual acts, there's adultery, there's murder, but there's also gossip. And we forget that at our peril. So all men need to be saved All men can be saved, and we are saved at the foot of the cross. Peter Marshall that I mentioned, one of his very famous sermons was, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I heard that when I was a very new Christian, and I can still hear him going as he preached. And he said, as they drive the nails into the hands of Jesus were you there it moved me enormously and it brings me to the story of Nicodemus Jesus talked to Nicodemus up in the tree you'll remember 
And Nicodemus was a leader of the local Jewish community. And Jesus said to him, you know all that, but the Spirit of God has not touched you. Come down out of the tree and meet Jesus. Because it's not about head knowledge. It's about meeting Jesus and having an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have that, maybe you're not hearing the knocking. We all need to hear the knocking. I remember my mother when I first became Christian. She was what I would call a nominal Christian, but she gave her heart to the Lord in later days, and I believe I will see her in heaven one day. But at that stage, she was very skeptical of my newfound faith. And she said, you Christians, you're always talking about blood. Are we? We should be, because that's the basis of our salvation. It was only by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross that the power of sin was broken. Broken for us. We mightn't like blood or talk about blood, but that is the, I was going to say the guts, that's a bit earthy, the core of the salvation message. If we haven't come to terms with Jesus' blood on the cross and move through to the resurrection, then we haven't really met Jesus in the way that Jesus said to Nicodemus, come down out of your tree, add to your head knowledge and meet Jesus. God will judge us. Our society doesn't think that we'll be judged, but one day we will all face an almighty God who is our judge. For all of sin, there is a penalty. There is a penalty, sorry. John 1.12 says, we must receive. We must receive. John the Baptist, John 1 is a very, in fact, the whole gospel of John is a very theological gospel. The other three are full of facts. But John is very theological because he starts off, in the beginning there was the word and the word was with God. It's a theological statement. Further on in chapter 1, we hear about John the Baptist. And he, without seeing anything that we can read about in the New Testament, said, here is the Son of the living God. Listen to him. Oh yeah, he was his cousin, but the fact that he was cousin made it probably more difficult, not less difficult, to say this is the son of the living God. What a great intro. What a great introduction. He believed the testimony of the prophets and his own heart, and he knew. If you have anything to do with court, as I do sometimes, not as a criminal defendant, I hasten to add, but you give evidence you get cross-examined on that evidence. And if you are found wanting in your evidence, your credibility is destroyed. 
John the Baptist said, this is the son of the living God. Listen to him. I've got a Serbian friend that I've met down in the Wairarapa since I moved down there. Moved down there for family reasons. Otherwise I'd be still be in the Bay of Plenty, the best place in the world to live. But I'm living in the Wairarapa. I met a Serbian ex-soldier. He was drafted into the Serbian army during the civil wars. You'll remember back in the, what was it, the 80s, 90s, they, when Yugoslavia blew apart. He was born into the Serbian area, which is a nominally Christian area, and he had a heritage in his family from the Eastern Orthodox Church, not the Catholic Western Church that we sort of come out of. He comes out of that Eastern Russian Greek Orthodox stream. So he knew about the gospel, but he told me for 10 years he had a guilt on his shoulders that he almost could not tolerate because some of the things that he had to do as a soldier under orders when he was in the Serbian army weighed on him so heavily he didn't know how to deal with it. He was near to suicide. But after 10 years, he found a living faith in the gospel, in Jesus. He found forgiveness, and he's now a thriving, useful citizen instead of a mentally wrecked, psychologically almost destroyed citizen coming to the foot of the cross of Jesus does that. There is no other way. Even counsellors, with all due respect to counsellors, can't do it. They can ameliorate or minimise the pain, but they can't deal with guilt. Only Jesus Christ The living saviour can deal with guilt. I have guilt. If you have no guilt, the message is not for you. But if, as I suspect, you probably have some guilt about some things, only Jesus can meet and resolve that guilt. The golden rule as so many people used to say, don't hear it so much, but a lot of people used to say when I was a young fella, follow the golden rule, everything will be fine. Nicodemus and the story is living proof that the golden rule is not enough. Neither are the 20 commandments, or the 12 commandments, sorry. They're not enough. Head knowledge is not enough. The power of the gospel can reach anybody. I've got a, down in Carton next door to us, there's one of those homes where they have what we used to call intellectually handicapped people. I don't think you're allowed to call them that too many places now. But anyway, they suffer from severe debilitation. There's a guy there who is at church every Sunday and his IQ is probably only about 70. My grandson has just been 
assessed by a psychologist as having an IQ of 131. Einstein had an IQ of about 140. To get into Mensa, you heard of Mensa? That's a, a, like a club for the highly intelligent people. My grandson would have a sufficiently high rating at 131 to join Mensa. So I'm encouraging him to do so. There's some good things you can learn there. But anyway, getting back to my friend next door, he probably only has about half of my grandson's intelligence. But my grandson hasn't found Jesus yet. But my friend next door has. And which is more important? You don't need a lot of intelligence, friends. <laughs> a professor of theology can know Jesus just as surely as a person with an intellect of subnormal. That is the power of the gospel. And how? Grace, friends. Grace. Isn't that an amazing word? Grace, amazing grace. It always amazes me how often when I go to a secular funeral, they sing amazing grace. I think some of the people there don't actually understand the words they're singing. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, just as I am. That great hymn, two great hymns. Simple message, powerful message. Sometimes we need to get back to the basics, friends. We really do. Not get off into eschatology as I've been doing recently. Get back to the basics. <laughs> the gospel is simple and profound. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If you've ever talked to a butcher, you know that butchers understand that the blood they deal with in their meat cleanses their hands. Have you ever looked at a butcher's hands? You have a look at a motor mechanic's hands and then have a look at a butcher's hands. Butcher's hands are sparkling clean. That is the power of blood in a very physical, simple way. But the power of Jesus' blood has a spiritual dimension and a power when I was in Bristol a little while back, I was doing some genealogy. I didn't have the slightest interest in genealogy until I turned about 50. But then, I don't know about you, but I got interested in my ancestry, and I found this guy who was a Quaker preacher, and I found a guy who lost his head in the Tower of London, and a few other things. <laughs> we all had black sheep in the family, uh, mind you, if you're on the wrong side politically back in the day, uh, you could lose your head in the Tower of London for no other crime than backing the wrong horse. <laughs> anyway, in Bristol, I was walking through what was like a canyon, rock on both sides. The nearest thing, I think, around these parts would be the Waikino Gorge. You know, they're a pretty steep rock side. Anyway, I was walking up through this, like a gorge, and there was a plaque on the wall. But you had to go into a sort of a, almost like an alcove in the rocks. 
and there was this plaque, and it said, on this spot, Augustus Toplady got the inspiration for the famous hymn, Rock of Ages. He was on his way to a preaching assignment, and a storm broke out of the heavens, and he found refuge in there, and he wrote those immortal words. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Inspired word. I leave that with you. Find that place. As we get older and we face the inevitability not only of tax but also of death, hang in there in that cleft in the rock. There is safety. There is the power of the blood of Jesus and there is grace and there is hope immortal. Bless your saints. Hang in there. May I pray for you. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The simplicity and yet profoundness. We thank you that before we even cared about you, you died for our sin. Help us to be grateful, to understand the breadths and depths of grace, amazing grace, and follow you through thick and thin, and when necessary in the cleft of the rock, until our days are done, and you call us home. Amen.